0: From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President, April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse. AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Up to 88% of persons exploited by trafficking are seen by a healthcare provider without being identified as victims. 88%! As nurse practitioners, we are on the front lines of healthcare and uniquely positioned to help end this horrible practice. Our guest today is at the forefront of educating healthcare providers about human trafficking and providing practical evidence-based practices that NPs can use to recognize and intervene. I am honored to have her as our guest today. Please help me welcome my friend, Dr. Jessica Peck. Welcome to NP Pulse, Dr. Peck. It is so nice to have you with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about this
1: really important topic.
0: It is a very important topic, and and it is really um, a topic that's very relevant for this month. And I, I want to get into a little bit more details about it. But uh, Jessica, I, you and I have known each other for quite a long time, and I always think about this one story of us uh, riding in a cab together in March of 2020 as we were rushing back to our respective organizations where we worked, and we were just hearing a lot of um, uh, just a lot of information about COVID as it was hitting the United States. And I take myself back to that moment often. And um, you and I have kept up over the last two years. But today, we are really going to dig into something that is just truly your area of expertise. And so I want to also share with the audience that I've sat in your presentations in the audience and listened to you as you've presented and it's just so fascinating. And there's so much that I need to know that we need to know. And and so I'm very, very excited to learn a little bit more about this topic today. I wish it wasn't a topic that we needed to talk about, but it is, it is very relevant for this time. So let's just start a little bit though, Jessica, with you sharing a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are today. Well, sure, April.
1: Thanks so much. And, you know, I love sharing this story because I think it's so relatable. Sometimes you can look at my bio and you see the things that I've done, but you have to remember I started as the first woman in my family to get a university education. I started in a community college. And I'm so grateful for that because it made nursing accessible to me. I think without that, I would not have been the nurse that I am today. And it was faculty and it was other nurses and nurse practitioners who just pulled me forward, who recognized potential in me before I saw it in myself and said, you can do more. And they Mm -hmm. they believed in me before I believed in myself. And I couldn't believe in myself, but I could believe in them. And so I went back and got my bachelor's degree. And then my master's degree as a pediatric nurse practitioner. Along the way, I fell in love with education, also fell in love with kids. I've always worked in mm-hmm. pediatrics. I have four kids of my own. So I really take that, you know, love of children, both personally and professionally. And I got a postmaster's in nursing education and I started teaching and I was practicing. And I kind of thought, this is great. This is the mm-hmm. best of both worlds. And, and along the way, I've you know been more into academics and helped, you know, to start new DNP programs, which is what I'm doing now at Baylor University but really it was my dnp education that was transformative in my health policy class and one okay. of my professors told me you need to have this paper published and i thought wait me and so mm-hmm. one of my first my first publication was in the journal of the american association of nurse practitioners and that really opened a lot of doors for me because i published about what nurse practitioners can do and so people started calling me and saying, hey, join us. And so through that, I started serving professional nursing organizations. And that has just been one of the greatest honors and privileges of my life. And that's really what positioned me uh, to start my work in anti-trafficking, which okay. I really never saw coming.
0: Was there ever, anything ever that, that happened to you personally? Or that, that part is very interesting. How did you specifically get interested in this topic? You know, I
1: think it's a testament to the power of nursing, because as Mm -hmm. nurses, we really want to help people and we want to make a difference and we want to do things. But I never in a million years throughout any point in my nursing career thought, you know, maybe I'll start to look at trafficking. That's a problem and I can do something about it. I didn't think Mm -hmm. that at all. Actually, what happened was one of my friends runs an anti-trafficking group here in Texas. And she called me one day and said, Hey, would you help me write and continuing education for nurses about human trafficking? And I said, Oh, absolutely not. I don't know about trafficking. I said, right. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You know, mm-hmm. you need to find an expert. And she said, I can't find one. But what's happening is the people that I'm helping have been in healthcare. And they haven't been responded to. Nothing is happening in healthcare and we're missing it. And yeah. so that's when I found out that almost 90% of people who experienced trafficking had encountered a healthcare environment without being okay. identified. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. How can this be? This cannot be because nurses are highly educated, you know, highly professional, highly empathetic. But I realized that we just didn't see it. So it's kind of like when you go to the optometrist and they say, is this clear one or clear two? Mm -hmm. When you walk into a clinical environment, those lenses go in front of our eyes and they start dropping in rapid fire as we assess a clinical situation. And we're looking and we're saying, is this abuse? Is this domestic violence? Is this, you know, uh, substance abuse or misuse? We're thinking all of those things, but we don't have a lens for trafficking. And so I went back to my friend and I said, okay, I'm going to help you find a nursing expert. But I couldn't do that either, so I finally thought, "All right, I'll do a good deed." I don't know anything about trafficking, but I do know how to educate nurses. So you right. teach me about trafficking, and I'll translate that for nurses, and we'll just, you know, go from there. That'll be that'll be the end. But uh-huh. little did I know that was only the beginning. And so we created a continuing education program for nurses across the state of Texas, and trained a Speakers Bureau of twenty two. And as I was working on that I was uh, on the board for the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just in the course of sharing, "Hey, this is what, you know, is going on in Texas and what I'm doing." They said, "Oh, we need to be a part of that." And you know, I look back April and I'm almost embarrassed to say, you know, it wasn't it wasn't me coming with this professional presentation saying, "Oh, this is what we should do." It was nursing recognizing the power of nursing. It's, right. We can have a voice there. We can be there. And that's where NAPNAP Partners for Vulnerable Youth was born. And we started convene nursing on a national and international
0: level. And I look back and think, wait, how did I get here again? Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that you say that is so profound is that 90% of us have encountered someone that is in in the human trafficking network or being trafficked, that is so hard to hear as a nurse, as a nurse practitioner, that that means there is a high likelihood that I've encountered that and not recognized. And, and so I do, I'm so appreciative that you did take that step and said, okay, I'll bring my education, my expertise, and I will meet you halfway and we will uh, put this program together. So, so you started this um, program. Now, what happened from there? What was (laughs) Because I've heard you in presentations. What, what all rolled out from there? Well, you've
1: been so kind to invite me to speak at Vanderbilt. And I've been doing that all over the country and even in other countries, mm-hmm. uh, working with anti trafficking professionals and healthcare professionals in uh, Indonesia and Malaysia and Australia. I mean, all over the world, really consulting to say, how can we engage healthcare providers who are a significant resource? we have also really been successful in talking with Congress and serving as expert resources. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I still honestly have to pinch myself walking down the halls of Congress thinking, Oh my goodness, here I am with nurse as a nurse, with nursing voice and nursing perspective, sharing our, our perspective. And we've been able to successfully influence federal legislation that is going to help give us tools and training. And one of those is uh, SOAR to Health and Wellness, which is from the okay. Depart- Department of Health and Human Services. So they started to just have a lot of training for trafficking. We also have been instrumental in helping to pass a law in Texas requiring all healthcare providers to be educated about trafficking. And that's been really exciting because Texas is the first state to adopt that requirement with standards, not okay. just saying you have to have training, but you have to have evidence-based training. And it was really nurses who stepped in and said, this is how this should be. So I'm actually working this week with the state of Illinois to implement the Texas model in Illinois. And you'll see in the education that we did for AAMP that you know several of you in several states are required to have that education. And we're so happy to be able to provide that for you. Other than That's that, great. you know, we found ourselves on the radio. We did a radio tour where we had more than 6 million listeners, just really raising awareness of this. And I think back to when I first learned about trafficking, I didn't know anything. I really mm-hmm. didn't. And right before I started, I was at a nap conference in Atlanta And Mm -hmm. I was actually going to an 80s party and I looked ridiculous. (laughs) My kids were there with me. They were humiliated that I was going to walk across the lobby in public, you know, with this Mm -hmm. blue eye shadow and teased hair. And, you know, of course, it was very comfortable to me. But as I came up the escalator, the part of the hotel where the conference was, was a little more abandoned. It was a little more uh, just quiet because most of the events had ended. And I saw one of our staffers who is a really tall guy named Justin, Mm -hmm. gentle giant. And he was up against the elevator with this other guy I didn't know who had him by the collar with his fist reared back. And he was about to punch Justin in the face. And I, I just couldn't even imagine what was happening. And Justin looked at me as I came up the escalator and said, get security. So I turned right around and went down and ran with my side ponytail and my collar turned up to get the police and they came and what they said was Justin had found this guy who was physically assaulting a young girl in the conference hallway and he had pulled him off of her and you know the police the security talked for a while the police talked for a while they went back and forth and then they came and they said you know she just rolled a john we're just going to let her go I had no idea what that meant I didn't know But what they were saying was that she was a prostitute. Now for me as a pediatric nurse, I'm looking, thinking there's no way she's 18, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't Mm -hmm. know that that's what that could look like. And I think you said something important, April, you know, as nurses, as we get awareness, this is so common everywhere I go, everywhere I speak. And even, you know, some of you listening right now, you may have that guilty feeling thinking, what could I have done? What could I have done better? But you know, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, we do the best we can with what we know. And when we know more, we do better. And we Mm -hmm. just have to recognize that going forward, that we're going to do that, but not carry the guilt of that from the past, but just carry that as motivation to help people in the future. Yeah,
0: you know, over and over again, just so far you have mentioned the power of nursing. And I, I think this is a true testament to the power of nursing, we recognize that there is a bigger problem and we really need to bring that to the surface. And, and the fact that we not only educate others, we educate ourselves and we take that, that is very important to us. And, but I, I, I want to tell you that by no means could you say at this point that you're not an expert. So early on, I know you were jumping in, you were eager to find out all you could about it. So I think for our audience today, there are many of us that still need to know more information. And I know you do a lot of different things in terms of educating, but could you just give us just a high level of what is human trafficking? I think that's really important. So if you could just take a moment to educate us as listeners.
1: I'd love to do that because I think one of the challenging things is that we hear so much misinformation, especially about trafficking, and it subconsciously impacts us. You know, I I hear nurses and parents, especially, who are more concerned about, you know, a scary guy with a white van waiting to kidnap you in the grocery store Mm -hmm. parking lot. That's what I hear. And we've heard lots of other news stories about, you know, uh, theories about children being trafficked through... commercial industries like Wayfair and things like that. But really the way that human trafficking happens is traffickers seek vulnerability. And it may be hard to believe, but there's more people being trafficked now than at any point in human history.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: when we talk about trafficking, it's important to know that in the United States, we have labor trafficking and sex trafficking. A lot of people you know, know as you said, I'm an expert in trafficking and they introduced me as an expert in sex trafficking. But we have to remember that labor trafficking is is more prevalent, even Mm -hmm. under-recognized. So as nurses, we want to advocate for all people who are vulnerable to being exploited and abused. And so we have to remember labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Now, we are seeing more of that come through the news media through cases like Jeffrey Epstein, R. R. Kelly, but also labor trafficking, one of the United States gymnastics girl's coaches was actually charged with labor trafficking. Now, tragically, he died by suicide before he went to trial, but there are cases that are happening that kind of instruct how that happens. Another one would have been Robert Kraft who visited a massage parlor in Florida. And it was really interesting to watch the public narrative on that because some people will say he has enough money to do what he wants to do. And who are we to say about that? but not recognizing the vulnerability of the workers in those environments. And so basically, you know, that human trafficking was defined in the federal code in the year 2000, which is not that long ago. We've only had a federal definition and recognized it since 2000, but it's just basically exploiting people using labor or sex or money. That's Mm -hmm. basically what trafficking is. And A lot of trafficking is happening through social media, and I know we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit, but that's really where the vulnerability lies, and especially with the pandemic and lockdown and people being isolated and economically stressed, we're seeing that happen more and more. But people are not often kidnapped into a trafficking situation, they're much more often groomed into it. A trafficker sees vulnerability, grooms them, then they don't recognize their own victimization they may think that they're victims of their own poor choices and really have a lot of self-guilt and shame and stigma so they mm-hmm. don't make an outcry. This isn't somebody waiting chained in a basement somewhere to pass you a note, you know, when the pizza right. delivery guy comes. These are people who are uh, have extensive trauma bonding and have difficulty recognizing their own victimization and so we need to recognize risk and connect them to resources. Uh-huh.
0: So what can we do? Uh, so so many of us as nurse practitioners, we work in a variety of sessions settings we are in the you know primary care and acute care, a lot of different settings. Um, but you know, and we're so we're thinking about treating disease and illness, and so we may not have top of mind uh, human trafficking as our patients come in. Especially, I think quite a bit about my colleagues that work in the in the emergency department and urgent care. And uh, so, tell us, is there any way we can recognize that this is happening? And, and if, if so, what do we do?
1: That is a great question, and I think it's overwhelming. You know, as nurses, when we hear about people who are who are in need, we want to help, and all of a sudden, we just want to do everything. But we not right. <laughs> do we wouldn't do that for anybody else. You know, imagine. If somebody comes into the emergency room and they're diagnosed with cancer, we wouldn't set them up with, you know, surgery and chemotherapy and a support group and outpatient therapy all on the same day. But somehow we take that mindset with trafficking, like, oh, I have to solve all of your problems in this five minutes that I have with you. Mm -hmm. And we just we can't do that. So I think the first step is to recognize that trafficking is happening. That is happening across the care continuum. It it happens mostly in the emergency room, but it happens in surgical environments. It happens in outpatient. It happens in NICU and labor and delivery and Mm -hmm. any care environment. And it doesn't matter if you're at a big health system or if you're just by yourself out in a rural area, trafficking can happen anywhere. And actually, traffickers get very savvy and they start to realize health systems who have protocols in place. So they're Mm -hmm. going to go to under-resourced places where they're more likely to fly under the radar. So once you realize that it can happen, that you can encounter someone. And you know, it's like you said, April, I wish we weren't talking about this. I wish we didn't have to talk about this. But as nurses, we don't go into nursing because we know everything's always sunshine and roses. We know that there are hard things that we can uh, that we encounter but we know how to help. So, the, I'll give you three easy steps, three things that okay. you can do because sometimes it can be overwhelming. Where do you even start? The first thing that you start with is evidence-based education. There is a lot of well-intentioned but ill-informed education there. And when I first started talking about trafficking, a lot of health systems really didn't even want me to come in because maybe they had had someone from law enforcement before and there was no work to translate that experience, which is valuable experience of law enforcement to what does this mean? So they just interpreted it as, well, you came in and told me all these scary stories, but where do I go from here? So you need evidence-based education. And the good news is that is so easy to do with AANP's brand new CE that we have just is. launched this month, which I know you'll tell them how to access April. <laughs> Number two is after you've gotten evidence-based education, look at the core competencies. So this is talking about the power of nursing. The a department, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services worked with a, a national group of experts. We had one nurse. That was me. We had uh, a physician. We had mental health services, and we had social services uh, that got together with the National Human Trafficking Technical Assistance Training Center, which is a mouthful. We call it Nitech for short. And we made core competencies to help you. You can look at those in three different levels as an individual clinician. What should you be able to do? These are the bottom line things that make you competent to be able to respond potentially to trafficking in your, in your clinical environment. Okay. And April, this is like a, you know an active shooter situation. Nobody wants that. Nobody right. wants that to ever happen. But if it happens and you're trying to decide what to do after it's already happening, you're not safe and your patients are not safe, and your outcomes are not going to be optimal. So it's high stakes, it's dangerous, and you want to be prepared. The other two levels of those core competencies are for health systems and for academic institutions. So if you're faculty, or if you're in leadership, or if you're in a health system, you can look at the core competencies document to see where do we need to go from here. Mm -hmm. And the third step would be get a group together use that core competencies document and work where you are to start creating a plan, whether that's just you and your secretary out in your private practice, or whether that's you and your health system with child life and social services and local law enforcement and your elected officials, invite any stakeholders and especially survivors. Survivor voice is so important in that. So those are your three steps, get education, look at the core competencies and then get a group together to decide where do you go from here and what can you do?
0: I think that's a great advice and great advice. And, and, you know, You did mention the education. I think after this podcast today, I'm actually going to go and and read even more because it's just such an important and and fascinating topic. And as nurses, we really want to make sure that we are doing everything we can and, and getting people to the right support systems. So um, we do have a continuing education module that we just launched through AANP and and Jessica, you actually led that module and and we'll make sure that our listeners are able to access that module uh, when they go to the podcast description. You're also speaking at our national conference, which will be in the summer. And I am so looking forward to that presentation as well. Just cannot learn enough on this on this topic. Now, you mentioned earlier, this is really important, the social media piece. And, and me being um, you know, a little bit older, I'm not as involved in social media, but everybody today is. And, and that is really one of the places where a lot of human trafficking really begins, where it starts to happen. So tell us a little bit more about that. You're
1: absolutely right. Trafficking has moved from the street to the smartphone. And sadly, it's really easier to order a person online than it is to order a pizza. And you know, when I first started in this work, I would tell people, go to the website backpage.com. It's like a green sheet or Craigslist advertising service. And I would say, go to the city you're in. I'm in Houston. Go to the dating tab. Go to men seeking women and scroll down and tell me when you see a minor in a sexually explicit position. And in this group, many, many groups that I talked to, they would say about 15 seconds and wow. you would just text that number and somebody would show up. And you think, how can that be happening? How can law enforcement not respond? And there's a lot of intricacies there. And if you want to know the story of how that came to be, there's a great documentary on Amazon Prime called um, I Am Jane Doe. It's also on Netflix. Okay, I Am Jane Doe. And it talks about the laws that really prohibited uh, being able to act. And they would do things like uh, speak with emojis. Well, there was no emojis covered in in the criminal code. How could you prove that they were really trying to say something with an emoji, even though we all know? But really, since the onset of the pandemic, there are more than a billion and a half children around the world, which anybody can be exploited by trafficking, but children are especially vulnerable. And they're isolated in their homes with only digital devices for companionship and connection. And traffickers are just sitting all day looking through social media, trying to connect with kids that are vulnerable. Only about 60% of people have, a, have privacy settings on their social media. So it's really okay. easy to get information to say, oh, hey, I understand you. Or to pretend like you're in their friend group. Like, oh, I know I saw this person was doing this and Really, they've just gotten all this information from social media. But really concerning, in the first month of the COVID-19 shutdown, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported a three-fold increase in reports of online exploitation and abuse. Mm -hmm. That went from 300,000 to more than a million reports of abuse. And more than 70% of those came through social media messaging. We've seen demand for child sexual abuse materials increasing, astronomically. Uh, And so people are looking, there's demand. And when there's increased demand, then there's going to be increased supply. So, you know, especially if parents who are essential or frontline workers, their children were all worried about them. They're lonely, they're bored, their schools are shut down. And now we have schools shutting down again and predators just exploit that. And so, it's really important for us to look at um, social media. And there's some simple things that you can do, very simple okay. things that will really protect your social media presence. Okay, what are those? The first thing is don't be naive and don't think that can never happen to me. That can never happen to my kid because traffickers are very savvy They don't look like what we expect them to look like. I often am asked, is a trafficker a pimp? And that's the only time you'll hear me use that word in this Mm -hmm. podcast, because it conveys a societal glorification and it gives us an image in our mind that's just not true. Traffickers are teachers and coaches and military veterans and family members. So we need to recognize that anybody is vulnerable. The second thing that you can do to really help is to set your account to private. Just don't give them easy access to that. And especially for minors, make that profile picture a stock or generic photo. So they're not looking through all profile pictures are public. They don't see, oh, here's a 12-year-old saying, like me, follow me, you know, I want attention. Um, they see a puppy, they see a beach, they see you know, a, a mm-hmm. geometric pattern. And so that's really important. The other thing is that at the location finding on social media is, is usually set as a default to public. So people can follow you on your snap maps or a photo that you take. You may not be aware, but it takes the precise latitude, longitude, altitude, like exact location. So Mm -hmm. you can go to your iPhone settings and you can disable geotagging so that people can't follow that. So, and then advise people don't ever meet somebody that you don't know, Um, don't meet a stranger, you know, that's really important so just those simple things
0: can really provide a great deal of protection well some of those things we can do right now right now yes. today and and having conversations early uh, with our with our children and you know there's not one day that doesn't go by that we're not talking about covid but what you've highlighted is that there have been many things that have been exacerbated by the pandemic and this is definitely one uh, as so many children are home, people are home, and their and social socialization is, is really via social media. Well, I, this, there's just so much to learn about this topic. And, and I love the fact that you have done a CE for us all. Um, and I, I want to highlight again that this is Human Trafficking Month. And, and the reason we have these months is to take a moment to say this is big and we need to educate ourselves and others more about this very, very important and very prevalent uh, topic. So thank you. And then I also want to mention, Jessica, you have been so such a wonderful advocate in this, in this arena, not only with what you've done with. HHS and, and so much in terms of legislation and and policy, Uh, but you continue to advocate and we can all do that. And, and these things come up in our uh, in congressional sessions in our legislative sessions over and over again and so we do need to be tuned in so that we can jump in and advocate as well as nurses and so we we have an advocacy site on the um, aanp.org website we also have our health policy conference coming up uh, in march Uh, That so many of our nurse practitioners come together to talk about issues just like this and what we can do. Uh, Our voice is very strong. You've mentioned the power of nursing over and over again, and it is truly there. There are well over 4 million nurses, there are over 325,000 nurse practitioners in the United States. There is power there, and we need to explore these topics, to jump in and learn what we can and educate others and make sure that that we are there uh, for our patients, and then to speak up and advocate for policies and programs that protect. So I'm so glad you joined us today, Jessica. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: Well, I would just love to see everyone at the Health Policy Conference, and AAMP has been such a great partner in this. I do hope, I'm saying it again, I do hope that you will take time to go online and to listen to the CE we have a survivor that speaks on the CE named Kathy McGiven Givens, who has a really compelling story. Wow. And I think that you know, even if you've heard me speak before, this is new and updated information. And so, I encourage you to go on there. And I, I encourage you to really you, take advantage of the voice that AAAP gives you, and really talking about through we do it through policy, education, advocacy, research, and leadership. All of those things have been important tools for me as I've worked to impact things as a nurse. And I think, you know, as as the care provided by nurses is widely and loudly celebrated, the voice of nursing lacks equal attention. And as a scientific profession, we are just perfectly positioned to be leaders and researchers and scholars and spokespeople. And so the last thing I just want to say to everybody out there is just thank you for everything that you're doing in the midst of COVID, trafficking trafficking and exploitation continue, and it's really hard. But thank you for everything that you're doing. Really, nursing is the most innovative, tenacious, and resilient profession that I believe has ever existed. And all of you inspire me daily. And congratulations to all of our colleagues for being ranked as the best job in healthcare. (laughs) I really couldn't agree more
0: definitely is. Well, that was so well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. And thank you. Thank you, Jessica, for donating so much and devoting so much of your life and your career to nursing, to caring for others, to education, but most importantly to this topic, human trafficking.
1: Thanks so much, April, for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Jessica. This topic is so tragic, but also so important. I'm encouraged that more and more nurse practitioners learn, the more they know, the more of an impact we can have. Check out the podcast description on whichever platform you're listening on for links to resources from this episode. I urge you to take the CE course in the AAMP CE Center to further educate yourself about the human trafficking epidemic. We all have a part to play in protecting our communities. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm.